It's interesting, but uh, just as a side point here, we, we sometimes wonder why Jesus um, sent, the, uh, you know, sent the disciples. He commands them kind of get into the boat and go to the other side. If you would attach Matthew's gospel to John's gospel and John chapter 6, you'll see why Jesus sent the disciples away. It's quite interesting because uh, with that multitude of people who Jesus was, had just fed, um, some of them were saying to Jesus, we're going to set up, we're going to make you king. We're going to get rid of the Roman tyranny. If you read in John chapter 6, and you're going to be king on this earth, and we'll set up a kingdom here, and we'll become your subjects. And Jesus knew that that was not the kingdom he wanted to establish. He wanted to establish a kingdom, but it was not the worldly kingdom. It was a God's kingdom in the hearts and lives of men and women and all people. Wasn't that true? And so we see that he, Jesus more than likely didn't want the disciples to get wrapped up in that because they were kind of new to the faith themselves. And some of the disciples were a little bit egotistical and they were quite happy to go, probably would have been happy to go along with the crowd and say, yeah, Jesus, you rule, you reign, we'll set up a kingdom, let's build a palace and, uh, and we'll have a great time here on earth. And that wasn't Jesus' plan. So more than likely... Jesus sends his disciples away in the boat and then he dealt with the multitude and said, you guys go as well. And then he spent time uh, with his heavenly father. Um, which verse were we up to? Um, verse 23, we'll say, and then he sent the multitude away. We'll get that again. And he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, or the wind, there was a storm happening. Okay. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. That's from between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Okay, Tradition says that they, the Jewish people would chop up the evening into three watch, four watches. And this is the, the last watch or the fourth watch of the night. And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it's I, right, don't be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. Didn't give any great explanation. Didn't say, Thou says the Lord, come. And he says, Come. He just gave him one word. It's amazing how one word from God can make such a difference sometimes, isn't it? And when Peter came down out of the boat, in other words, he hopped over the side, Maybe, you know, got down out of the boat, probably is a bit high. It wasn't just a little boat, maybe it was quite a big boat. And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you're a little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, so that means they must have went back to the boat if they got into it. Uh, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. They had this revelation. So many moments of the encounters that Jesus and the disciples had together was based around the familiar places that they all understood. And when you think about the disciples, there was 12 of them. At least four of them were fishermen, so they understood boats. Um, they lived on the Sea of Galilee on the shore, so consequently the the preferred mode of transport uh, to get from one side to the other was often in boats. And so there, were, there, was, there was a familiar place to the disciples. And there were so many occasions when Jesus took the opportunity to teach them something or to train them or to help them to grow in their faith. 
uh, in the midst of those times that they were so familiar with in the, the middle of the Sea of Galilee or on boats. Um, if we were to do a quick audit of the, of the experiences the disciples had on boats, and particularly there seems to be one of the disciples that has a lot of experiences on boats, and he was one of the fishermen himself, and that was Peter. And if we were to do a quick audit on that and just quickly go through it, um, Luke chapter 5, in the early days when Jesus, Jesus and Peter met, Peter had been out fishing all, um, and, 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 and all night, and he was tired, and he's it's in the morning and he's washing his nets on the sea. Jesus jumps on his boat, preaches to a multitude and then says to Peter, hey, go out and let down your nets and catch fish. And Peter says, you got to, he doesn't say literally, but he must have been thinking, you've got to be joking. <laughs> I've been out all night, not caught a thing and you want me to go out again. And reluctantly he says, oh, okay, because you've said so, teacher, I'll go out. And so Peter goes out again, throws over his net and of course he catches such a, a large amount of fish that he is shocked by it. He says, this is, you know, obviously shocked because Peter's response shows us his, his, um, uh, that he is shocked and that he kneels at Jesus' feet and he says to Jesus these words, away from me, Jesus, because I am a sinful man. Right there, Peter had a revelation of who he was and, it, and he thought, I can't, I can't be in the presence of Jesus. I'm a sinful man. He's, this miraculous catch of fish is incredible. It's not something that I've just done on my own. This is something that's miraculous and not my doing. And Peter understood that. So he had that encounter at the boat. And if we were to go on and in Matthew 8, um, the disciples are in a bad storm now. It's, on, it's, it's, it's a partway through and he'd chosen his disciples. He's got them in a boat with him. He falls asleep at the back of the boat and there's an enormous storm that brewed over the Sea of Galilee and the boat was being um, swamped by the sea and they're so concerned that they're fearful for their lives. So it must have been a pretty vicious storm. Um, the Sea of Galilee isn't just an awake, uh, an Awonga Dam size. It's an enormous sea, you know. So there's quite capable of throwing up quite a vicious storm. And so they're in the middle of the storm. They wake Jesus up and they say to Jesus, that, that the first thing they say, don't you care that we could die here? So they were pretty desperate. And the answer to that question is Jesus didn't answer it because of course he cared. And he got up and he calmed the storm. So we see another encounter they had on the ocean. And then in John 21, uh, John records that Jesus has died, buried and rose again. And, you know, and the disciples get a bit discouraged, to say the least. And Peter says to everybody in John 21, hey, I'm going back fishing. What's he do? He goes back to the familiar. He goes back to that which he knew before. And he's out there off the shore somewhere fishing with the other disciples, James and John. And as they're fishing, they're catching nothing. And there's this man walks along the beach and says, are you catching anything? And they say, no. And he says, cast your net on the other side. Oh, what have we got to lose? They cast their net on the other side and they can't contain the number of fish. It must have brought back memories to Peter and it clicked in his mind. This is no ordinary gentleman on the beach. This is Jesus. Straight away, he jumps off the boat, swims to the shore. And they have breakfast together, fish and chips on the shore there of Galilee. These encounters that the disciples had with Jesus, all based around boats and sea. And then, of course, in Matthew 14, which I read today, we see that this encounter Jesus has, particularly with the disciples, but with Peter again. And as I said, Jesus has been with his father on a mountain having a bit of a prayer session. He walks across the water. It says the boat's in the middle of the lake. Can I just say, that was about a four-kilometer walk for Jesus to get to the middle of Lake Galilee. 
This is no kind of leisurely stroll on a Sunday afternoon. This is quite a, this is quite a marathon. Jesus is walking and the disciples, first of all, don't understand. They've never seen anybody walking in water. They think it's a ghost or a premonition or something's out there. This is scary and they're fearful. And Jesus says, it's me. And, and they're like, wow, that's incredible. And Peter pipes up, as he did, because he was impetuous and he quite, you know, just foot and mouth. And he says, in this occasion, it wasn't bad. He says, if that's really you, cause me to come. Tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Peter hops out of the boat and walks on water. They're all, ex- they're all amazed. Peter's amazed. He's probably the most amazed. And then he begins to sink, of course, and Jesus catches him, and they walk back to the boat together. So the story, again, in a familiar place, Jesus meets them where they're at. I would suggest to you today that Jesus uses our everyday surroundings and our familiar places to sometimes, if you're listening, to teach you in some incredible lessons and actually see you to grow in your Christian faith. You know, there's continually God wants you to draw near to him because as you draw near to Christ, there's something happens. The world can fall away off us and we embrace more of God's purpose and principles for our life. All the time he wants us to encounter. I think God every day wants to encounter us in the familiar places of where we work and where we play. Every day. You know, have you ever been driving and and had someone cut you off in traffic and you've had to draw upon some Christian virtue? (laughs) Have you ever been in your workplace and that person that just continually rubs you up the wrong way, you've got to show some godly grace to them? It's a lesson, isn't it? It's an opportunity to grow. Have you ever been on the sporting field and, and, and there's this one player who's always in your, you know, whether it's a team competition and someone's in your face all the time and you just are getting impatient, but you've just got to shut your mouth and you've just got to continue to press on and keep focused on the task and not get upset. And you've got to have an attitude check, don't you? Have you ever? Maybe today you're facing illness. Maybe today there's some surgery illuminating, you know, looming on the horizon, or, or maybe there's a financial shortfall, or maybe there's some disappointment today because of someone or somebody who hasn't kind of come through for you and what you'd expect. I want to just say we all face our storms, but it's interesting, but please don't look sometimes, I mean, God can do it, but sometimes he meets you at the most familiar places that you're used to just being in every day. He just wants to encounter, he wants to help you to grow and, and ultimately grow closer to him. Draw near to him. You know, it's amazing because when you do, the Bible says he'll draw incredibly close to you. But often it's us who needs to make the first step, don't we? Because he wants to know whether you're sincere and realistic and fair dinkum. So we, we all face our storms in the familiar places. And the storms, the disciples continually learnt life's lessons through the storms of life. And you know, when we read our Bibles, I've discovered there's two types of storms that we all can face. There's storms of correction and there's storms of perfection. And if you think about it, I'll explain it quickly. A storm of correction is, is when we're facing some element of when we just feel like we're being disciplined. And it's often because we've just kind of been, let's be honest, disobedient to what we know we should be doing, particularly to maybe God's ways and purposes. And we get, um, you know, we kind of prideful and we walk off in our own way and and a storm seems to erupt all around us, but what's, and we think, why is this happening? But honestly, it's just because we're reaping what we've sowed sometimes. And it's an opportunity to embrace the discipline and grow through that. If there was ever a storm in the Bible that really depicts um, 
a storm of um, correction, it would have to be a, a gentleman in the Old Testament called Jonah. Remember Jonah who got swallowed by the whale? And, and uh, there was, uh, God told him to do something. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to Nineveh because there's 150 odd thousand people who are doing their own thing and they need to hear the message of, of what I've got for them and they need to turn their lives around. And so Jonah said, no way. <laughs> I'm not doing that, God. And so he jumped on a boat and went the other direction. And you know what happened? A storm blew up while he was in that boat. And, and so much so that the boat was like it was going to sink. It was an incredible storm. And Jonah goes to the captain and says, you know what? This storm is because of me, I know. Because I've been disobedient to God. And so they started to pray. They say, and, and Jonah said, well, just throw me overboard and you'll have no more problems. And the captain says, we can't do that. And so they all got and prayed to their own gods, but that didn't happen. The, the storm continued to rage. And then they threw the cargo overboard, trying to lighten the ship and, and make the ship more buoyant. But that didn't happen. The ship was still getting you know, pretty much beaten up. And so finally, they, they said to Jonah, okay, they threw him overboard. And he sinks down into the miry depths of the water. And the place goes calm. And the captain goes, wow, that worked. And, Jesus, and of course, God was incredibly gracious to Jonah. He brings along a fish, swallows him, and, um, and looks after him for three days in the belly of a whale. And then Jonah finally gets spat out on a beach and then does what God wanted him to do in the first place and goes to Nineveh and preaches. And the whole city comes to God and receives the good news of what God has for them. So it's amazing. So we see that as a storm of correction. And, and, and that can sometimes happen because we've just simply got to be obedient. But there's other storms of perfection. And what I call storms of perfection is when we're actually walking in obedience to God. But what happens is, is that we see that we, there's an opportunity, something unfolds in our life, a circumstance, a tragedy or a situation. And it's often a time for us to grow. God has purpose in the storm because he wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to grow closer to him. He wants you to grow up. You might say, but you know, I'm fairly old as it is. But you know, you can never stop growing up. You can never stop becoming more of what God wants you to be. Is that true? Until your dying breath. In actual fact, I call it perfection. But the truth is, it's not. we'll never reach perfection. But I tell you, we can continue to move towards that as we come in and just allow God to yield our lives. And it's not a perfection of look at me, how good I am. It's a perfection of humility, a perfection of God. I need more of you. So we have Matthew 14. And they're in a storm. Again, the disciples are in a storm in the middle of Lake Galilee. And, um, and they were obeying Christ because who told them to get in the boat and go to the other side? Jesus. So it's not like they were being rebellious. It, it was a storm of perfect. God was going to grow opportunity for them all to grow in their faith. And as I look at this, it's a great metaphor for life. And I just wanted to draw from here for just for a moment this morning, lessons from the storm. Is that cool? If there was the first lesson I see in Matthew 14, is this, if always... As we go through life, you've got to be aware of what you're walking on. You've got to be aware of what your foundation is. You've got to be aware of the, of the things. You know, um, sometimes you can uh, 
the foundation you're walking on can't be, is not stable. And that's quite scary, isn't it? You know, you could, maybe you're, uh, I don't know, wherever you may be, maybe you're climbing a tree and you find the branch is kind of cracking underneath you. You would, all of us would call that a dangerous situation. It's not a good thing to stand on that type of thing. Sometimes we're, you know, some situations unfolding. Maybe we're, we're out in the, you know, standing on the, you ever been standing on the beach and the waves are crashing in on you? And, and as you're standing there, all of a sudden you find the sand goes from underneath your feet as the, as the, the waves go, rushes back out to sea. And we'd all kind of say that's a, not a very sure foundation. And this morning, we've got to see it in this passage of Scripture, Peter walked on water. And you'd have to agree with me, naturally speaking, that's a, not a very good foundation. <laughs> you can't walk on water. Um, I remember on some occasions when I've been swimming and thought I saw a shark that I attempted to walk on water, but, but it, it never really... I got to the shore pretty quick, but no water walking was involved. I probably wanted to at that moment. Thankfully, it was just a dolphin. <laughs> but who can tell when you're in the ocean, you know? <laughs> See, Peter... The interesting thing about Peter is that, uh, you know, he's in the boat. Jesus comes across the, the, the Lake of Galilee. They're all scared, initially scared. Jesus is, is, is that a ghost? I've never seen this before. So let's not be too hard on the disciples. If I saw someone walking on water in, in you know, in part, partial light at about uh, between 3 and 6 in the morning out in the glass, I'd be wondering what is happening too. But when they find it's Jesus, as Peter says, well, if it's you, Jesus, just call, ask me to come. And Jesus doesn't hesitate. And he gives him one word, as I said, just one word. As I said before, one word from God can make such a difference. And so with that one word, Peter walks on water. He's never done this before. Incredible. Peter, you're doing it. You're living the dream. <laughs> For a moment. <laughs> and then he starts to sink. But the interesting thing is he did try. Sometimes we can look at this point and we can say, well, Peter, you know, you failed. No, he didn't, folks. I'd... He, he actually succeeded in many ways. He got out of the comfort of the boat and he started to walk on water. And he did for however many meters he did walk. It was an incredible moment of faith. But I want you to understand we have a God. How in the world could Peter walk on water? He didn't, because you can't walk on it. Who knows that water is not a stable foundation for you to walk on? But what is a stable foundation to walk on is God's word. And when Jesus says, even one word, just come, Peter stepped out of the boat on that. He stepped out of the boat on God's word. You see, God is the, God is the creator of all natural laws, isn't he? Gravity. What goes up must come down. Um, natural law of, of, of the sea. Um, Large waves and wind and all that. The natural law of atmospheric pressure which creates storms and clouds which create rain. And all those things happen. But you know, I'm glad we serve a God that even though he created it, he is not dictated to, it, dictated to by it. And even the fact that Jesus walked on water to the disciples. You think about this. The storm and the ocean and the sea of Galilee and the water was just a pathway for him to draw nearer to the disciples. 
It wasn't a problem. It didn't dictate to him his lifestyle. It didn't dictate, well, he didn't stand on the shore after a couple hours of prayer with his father, so I can't go out on that sea today. I can't reach the disciples today. It didn't hesitate. Jesus walked on water because he, I believe the reason he walked on water is one of the things he wanted to show the disciples is that the, the very thing that they're fearful of, he could walk on. The very storm that they were concerned about, he can, he, he can, he, he can um, walk on that. It's not an issue, not a problem to him. It doesn't, didn't, didn't dictate to him. The natural laws of this world did not dictate to Jesus how he runs his life. And here's the, here's the truth. Don't let it dictate to you as well. Not just natural laws, but circumstances and struggles and things that want to come and buffet us in life. And, and, and the things that when we think we're having a calm and it's going to be a wonderful, calm, lovely, sunny day and it is exactly the opposite and we're thinking, what is wrong here? I didn't expect this to happen today. And there's a lot of things that in life you don't expect to happen, but they happen. But they're the times to say, I'm not going to be dictated by the circumstances around me. I'm not going to allow stress, anger and worry and, and panic come into my heart here. Hey, I've got something greater than that. And I want to tell you what the greater thing is, that you can walk over and over the top of your of circumstances. And that is the truth of God's word today that you can stand on. Because Peter did, and he did for a portion of time until something else kicked in, but we'll talk about that. But the reality is, Jesus wasn't, even though he was the creator of all the universe and the creator of the natural elements, it didn't dictate to him how to live his life. And even though we live in this world with all the circumstances that unfold and it seemed to crash into our lives like a wave, I tell you, we don't need to be dictated to it because we have God's word. If I was to talk to you this morning um, about uh, circumstances, Maybe, maybe today we have the circumstance, I've been hurt too much. Maybe you're here today and say, well, I've been hurt too much to open my heart up again. Well, here's God's word to you that you can stand on. You can walk over the top of that. Ezekiel 36, 26. I haven't got it on the screen. I didn't want it on the screen. I just want, to, I want you to contemplate it here. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, God says, you know, you've been hurt too much. <laughs> Look at me. I've been hurt beyond. I've had so many people give up on me. So many situations change. He says, I want you to know that I can take that hardness of your heart where you've been hurt and I can help you to love again. I can help you to have a soft pliable heart. I can help you just to live in that peace of joy again and not be hard and stony and, and bitter about life. He says, see, that's the word of God for you this morning. That's, that's truth. Maybe this morning, your circumstances, I'm always going to be enslaved to this bad habit or this thing that wants to grab me, my attention and distract me all the time. Here's a word for you, Romans 6.11. This is the word you can walk on. Rethink yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God Jesus, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that great? Rethink yourself to be dead indeed to sin. In other words, say, I'm no, gonna, no longer going to give time and effort to that thought or that attitude or that habit. I'm going to be dead to that. I'm going to be alive to God now. I'm going to let him come and rule in my life. And then it's about what you allow in your thinking, isn't it? Here's the word for you. And it can be life to you. You can walk on that. You can build a life around that truth. Maybe it's a day I'm too scared to love again or try again or help again. In 1 John 4, 18 is a word for you because it says the perfect love drives out fear. I'm too scared to do anything. You know, it says perfect love. Who's perfect love? Jesus. And as we draw near to the incredible um, Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
He can take the stony heart. He can put love in there. He can say, hey, that love will drive out all fear and concerns. Maybe there's anxiety today. He wants to drive that out with his perfect love. He wants to put something of life within us. Come on. What are we walking on today? Because you need to see that your circumstance and your struggle is just an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to walk on top of it and not walk under it. You know, are you being taken? Are you in the water or are you on the water today? What are you walking on? What is your steps like? What's the foundation under you? you? Is it God's word or is it the world's ways? You know, what do you. Peter said, hey, you know what? Jesus knew the only way that Peter could walk on water, it was impossible, literally impossible, but he had to have a word from Jesus and he walked on top, literally on that word come until he's focused, he lost focus. Psalm 1905 says this, His word is a lamp to my feet. You know this scripture, and a light to my path. Hey, you just know it. Um, his word, it, it, it lights up where I'm going to stand. So I, could, I can take a moment to see what I'm walking on in the path. I was in New Zealand earlier this year uh, with all my family, which was just an incredible time, great time together. And we had quite an adventure holiday, and apart from all the things we'd done, one of the things we did was I went with uh, Andre and Stephen and myself, and we went um, bike riding, mountain bike riding. Now, um, we obviously discovered who the really fit one is in our group of three. That's Stephen and not me. And, and you know, Andre, I let him speak for himself. But reality is, after an hour, we sat down and let Steve go for it. But... In, at Rotorua, there's this redwood forest, and there's just a myriad of bike, uh, mountain bike tracks. And it was just a brilliant time. Uh, and, and, you know, there's really easy ones, and then there's medium ones, and then there's hard ones, and then there's, like, super um, impossible ones, you know, those times. All these different tracks. And I had the map. I was given the map. And I was the holder of the map, the responsible one. And we were going to find our way around all these tracks with the map. But you know, within the first trail run we did, I lost the map. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. And I even went back over the track to try and find the map. But, you know, there was a, obviously a um, squirrel that had eaten the map or something <laughs> like that. I could not find the map. And so, for the, and so I, I, I really, I didn't say this to the guys, but I just lost confidence. <laughs> I thought, I do not know where we're going, but, you know, I've got these two son-in-laws. Let's just go anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, but we need a map. And I, that was what I was saying in my heart. And on a couple of occasions, we'd come across other bike riders, and I said, where are we? And they kind of intimated. After a while, I did realize that, you know, there was one general direction we could to get home, and that was the direction. Whichever way we were, we just needed to face that direction, and we'd reach the point of... Uh, starting point again. But anyway, we were pretty tired. But you know, it's interesting when you, when you haven't got the roadmap to life, you can lose confidence and you don't even realize you're losing confidence. Sometimes you can just wander off into life. But you know, God's word is continually a guide and a, and a lamp to our feet and a guide, isn't he? It, it, it gives us, you know, God's word gives you confidence to walk in strength to walk on truth, to walk life. And, you know, when you face the, the, the challenges of life, you can go with confidence and, and, and tackle that situation and that circumstance doesn't kind of knock you for six. You can say, hey, this is, I've got God's truth, God's word I can stand on, hey? I've got the roadmap to where I'm going. I know my destination is heaven and I just, and it, you know, the truth is between here and there, as I stay close to him, as I continue to stand on the truth of his word, he's going to lead me and guide me to that final resting place and destination. Destination. 
And in the process, I'm going to be an influence to others and be a blessing to God and serve his kingdom. And, you know, but we lose confidence. And so many people are out there. They've got a confidence, but their confidence is in material things. It's not the God of heaven. It's the, and that's where their confidence is. We need God's truth. We need his words to us every day. And, and, and you know, so often God could just speak as you just open his word. Wow, that's something for me today. And it gives us confidence to tackle the storms of life, doesn't it? Here's the second one. You good? How you going? Here's the second one, real quick. Second lesson from this storm. Uh, what are you focused on? You see, what are you walking on will depend on what you're focused on. Think about it. You know, if, if you realize what you're walking on is not solid, you're going to find some solid ground to walk on because you see that it's not good. It's not good. Don't walk on that. Walk on something better. You know, don't walk, too, if, don't walk too close to the cliff edge. You could fall off. Walk on the, you know, away from the cliff edge. Some of us, you know, anyway, that's another thought. But the reality is just be careful what we're, because we see what's good and what's bad. We can see clearly. Peter was no different here. Um, um, Peter, as Peter gets out of the boat, he his focus, for a while there, he's just focused on Jesus. And as he's focused on Jesus, he's walking on the water. But then he sees, it says, and what does it say in Scripture? He sees the wind and the waves. He loses focus. And as he loses focus, he begins to doubt because Jesus said, why did, when he caught him and held on to him, he says, why did you doubt? You would have think Jesus would have said, well, why did you sink? Well, I didn't, you know, no, no, no. What happened was Peter lost focus on the source of his ability to walk on water. It wasn't his ability. It was, it, it was what Jesus had said to him, the word which we've established, but he lost focus on it. And you've got to be careful because as you lose focus, you start to see distractions and you start to sink in life. The circumstance will take you under instead of you being over it. That's what happened to Peter. And as he started to refocus, not focus on Jesus, but see the wind and the waves, he started to... Um, Doubt that this is possible. And then he started to, of course, lose faith in what Jesus could actually do. And some of us think fear is the cause of our lack of faith. No, it's not, folks. Before you ever get fearful, you lose focus. I, um, I remember growing up as a young man, and, uh, and I had a rude awakening when I came to Gladstone. Uh, because in, in, when I lived in Gympie for those nine years, they had toilets inside with, you know, push button and everything worked really well. When you came to Glass and they had this little um, wooden building in the back corner of the yard as far away from the house as you, they could get it. And it was called a Thunderbox. Um, I know for some of you that's just a completely, um, you're wondering what I'm talking about, but you used to wander down the backyard and You'd open a little wooden door, and often it didn't have any lights, and you'd sit in there, and, you know, whatever had to unfold, unfolded, but that's where you went to the toilet. Do you know what I'm saying? Who remembers that? Just me? Who had to live through that incredibly cruel time in life? <laughs> Even as an infant. And as a, When I came to Gladstone... We had this little room inside the house, but there was no toilet in there. The plumbing was, and we had to go to this thing out the back in the backyard. And you know, being a young man of nine, it was before I went to bed, you had to do a number one. 
And so I'd run down the back stairs and it was completely dark and there was no light bulbs to switch on. And you'd open the door of that little room with a creaky old wooden door. And it was like there was something was going to jump out at you. And I tell you, more often than not, I never went inside. I just went outside. And that's why the banana tree grew so well outside our toilet. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? But I want to tell you, the, I started to realize something. is that I used to think there was something in there that was going to grab me. Something, I don't know what, a boogeyman or something like that. As a nine-year-old, you know, give me, give me some grace here. But, you know, that's what I thought. And so it was a struggle to go to the toilet at night. Because the reality is, I never looked at reality. I always looked, I lost focus by thinking about what I thought would be there. But there was never anything what I thought would, was there. Over those whole four or five years we had that, that outside toilet, Nothing of what I thought or what I was fearful of ever came to pass. And yet it continued to stop me from ever going inside that little... I had to, you know, at different times, obviously go inside there. But I'd always lose... As soon as I started to walk down the, down the back stairs, my focus would be on, I wonder what's in there. Is something going to grab me? Is it going to be a snake, a spider, or some person hiding inside there? And, you know, all these stupid thoughts. But it was a distraction... And if only I faced and thought about, the, had the confidence to think about it realistically, there was nothing that was ever there. And so often in life, we go through life and we're like Peter, we're walking on water, we're, we're dreaming the dream, we're doing well in life, and then something comes along, the enemy comes along and wants to plant a seed of distraction, and it distracts us from the purposes and, and it just makes us doubt God and then we lose faith in God, but it never comes because we are fearful, it always comes first of all because we lose focus on what the truth is, and then we start to be fearful, don't we? Peter lost focus. So I want to encourage you, if this is second point, don't lose focus because what you're walking on will depend on what you focus on. And if, you, if your focus is on all the negative and all the fearful things of life and what you can't do and all, all that stuff that the enemy wants to feed you with this rubbish and say, well, you're, you're going to be like this. You're going to be, you'll always be like this. You'll never be able to break this, that chain of bondage on. You'll never, if you listen to that rubbish and not listen to his word, folks, the truth is, is that your focus will be on very shaky ground. You'll be walking on something that's not solid. So we see in this lesson, there's a lesson here. It's about... Not only just, uh, of course, uh, walking on something solid, but it will depend on what we're focused on. Jesus says, um, Jesus clearly, come on, says, don't doubt, Peter, come on. Here's the third thing and last thing today. Um, see, see what you're, not only what you're walking on, will depend on what you're focused on, but what you're focused on will depend on who you'll, who you'll have a trust in. Who you'll trust. See, there's a third thought here. Who do you trust when the storm breaks? Who do you trust when the storm breaks upon your life? Um, interesting enough, when Peter walked out to Jesus, the storm was still raging. Jesus didn't stop the storm for Peter to get out of the boat and walk across. It wasn't a mill pond when he walked across the water. It was still a storm. You would have thought, to make it easier for Peter, stop the storm, calm the waves, let Peter walk on calm waters. No, it didn't happen that way. 
It's even when Peter finally, um, Jesus grabbed him when he was sinking into the waves, that the storm didn't even stop then. In actual fact, it says in Scripture, they walked back through the storm. Well, we surmise that either Jesus carried him or they walked together back through the storm. And it wasn't until they got in the boat uh, the storm stopped. Did you notice that? You know, if I was Peter or the disciples, I would have said, Jesus, what about stopping the storm when I was trying to walk out to you? And sometimes we expect God to pull the storm up when we want it pulled up. Sometimes we expect God when we pray to say, God, change the circumstance. And you know what? It's not like God puts us or you know, is the one who makes the storm happen, but he certainly can allow it, and he knows the exact moment when it, for it to stop in our lives and the lesson for us to be learned. See, God's timing is different to your timing, but we want God to do things now, don't we? God, now. I prayed two minutes ago. Why isn't it answered? <laughs> but you know, God has an incredible sense of timing, and as I've said many times, God is seldom early, but never late. And see, the storm we see, Peter and Jesus have to walk back together in the storm to the boat. It would be far easier if God dealt with the problems in our life a lot earlier than he does. Um, and sometimes the problem seems to go on for years. Sometimes the unanswered prayer seems to be for years. And yet, you know, when God works, it can be suddenly Suddenly, sometimes. Um, I think that Jesus had a purpose in what was happening in Peter's life that day. And here's the purpose. Peter learned firsthand that in storms, he doesn't let us go. He learned firsthand that in the midst of the storm, he doesn't let us go. Jesus escorted Peter, obviously, back to the boat. And you never know how much we have to trust him until we realize how much we can't save ourselves. I'll say it again. You'll never realize how much you trust this incredible God that we serve and love until you realize how much you can't save yourself. And I'm not just talking about that initial salvation point where we come to Jesus. I'm talking about throughout our Christian walk, how much we continually need him in our lives. Um, it's not a weak or wimpish thing to need a God of strength in our lives. We never know. Um, you know, to give up our rights, to give up our pride, to give up our selfishness uh, and say, I need help. Because in the Western world, we live in a very much do-it-yourself society. We live in a society that is fast-paced. Uh, I can, I can look-after-myself environment. And, you know... You can have the conf and so you should, because you can have the confidence to do that when your confidence is in his word, his truth, and his realities. You can have confidence to live well, to live strong. But it's in him we've got to live and move and have our being, it says in Scripture. Not in our pride and selfishness and ego. Oh, how ego wants to rise its head sometimes. I can do this myself. But God just invites us back into his world, and we're the ones who've got to make that step. Of are we going to take the invitation? Peter walked on water, but I want to tell you this morning, it wasn't the greatest moment of his triumph that day. Walking on water wasn't Peter's greatest triumph. <laughs> if you think about his greatest triumph, the moment of triumph, the greatest triumph of Peter, when he, when he cried out, Lord, save me. That was his greatest triumph. 
Because miracles can come and go. But my heart bent towards God and, and leaning into the Lord, man, that's a, that's a great triumph. If you can do that consistently from day one of your salvation to the time you breathe your last breath, I think that's a great triumph. Sometimes we want the flashy things. I'm all for it. Let the sick be healed. Let the blind see. I'm going to believe and pray. I'm going to continue. But the reality is one of the greatest triumphs in your life is when you can consistently walk. And when you get into heaven, Jesus say, well done, miracle worker. And now he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's in no way belittling any miracles. I want that. I'm just saying, let's realize the greatest foundation of our life is our consistent walk with him and uh, him in our lives. See, Peter's greatest triumph was when he said, Lord, save me. Because at the moments of great confusion and struggle, we can forget to look to God and rely on our ability and our reasoning and our, our um, prowess and what we could do so well. And I'm glad for the things that we do well, but I also know this. We've got to realize who gives us the ability to do well, who gives us the ability to breathe today, who gives us the ability to have life, to move and have our being. It's him. Hey, um, We are our strongest when we acknowledge his strength is greater than ours. His strength is greater than ours. And like Peter, may we utter those words, Lord, save me. May, not just for salvation, but for life. Lord, today, save me from my selfishness. Save me from my ego, God. Save me from my stubbornness, God. Save me from my pride. That I would humbly and, and, and um, bow before you and walk before you all the days of my life. As the singers and musos come, I, I'm so aware there's a great story, a guy called Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin, 1859. That's a fair few years ago. Charles Blondin worked in a circus. You can read about him. Um, and he was a tightrope walker. And on several occasions, he strung a, a, a wire across Niagara Falls, right there where the falls goes over. You know? And he strung this tightrope. And he'd walk across there with a balancing bar, and, and he'd do it, go across and back again. And everybody would just stare in amazement and go, wow, incredible tightrope walker. Charles Blondin. He was probably one of the best at that time in the world at being able to walk on a tightrope. Incredible balance, incredible character to do that. But one day he took it up a notch, he took it to a new level, and he had a wheelbarrow. He, got, he discarded his big long pole and he had a wheelbarrow, and he says, I'm going to walk across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow, pushing a wheelbarrow. And everybody said, You can't do it. And they, some of the people who who kind of didn't like him, you know, jeered at him and had, you know, had some nasty things to say. And he challenged those people. He said, I tell you what, how about one of you? I challenge you to come and sit in the wheelbarrow as I push it across. And none of the, none of the negative crowd did, but there was a lady, sorry, a man, <laughs> who put his hand up and said, I believe that you can do that, Charles. And I'll tell you what, so much so that I'll hop in the wheelbarrow. So he hopped in the wheelbarrow. And that's a long way across Niagara Falls. And there he's wheeling. And every inch of strength and muscle and tendon was involved in this effort from Charles Blondin to push this wheelbarrow with this man. And he said to the man, sit very still. And then as they're doing that, little did he know, but there were people who had placed bets on him. And some of them lots of money. And one of the negative crowd actually cut one of the tie, tie ropes on this side. 
And so, as he's halfway across, and so the whole thing started to sway and move up and down as one of the tight ropes that held, or the guide ropes held this um, tight rope, started to, it, it, it was um, faulted, of course, and it was cut. And Charles Blondin, with every inch of strength, is there trying to maintain his balance with this wheelbarrow. You could appreciate how difficult it would be. And he said to the men in the wheelbarrow, I cannot continue to go forward with this wheelbarrow. You've got to climb out of the wheelbarrow and come and grab me with your arms and your legs around my waist and your arms around my chest. It's the only way we can continue to walk across here if we're going to make it alive. And the man said, I can't get out of the wheelbarrow. I've got to stay here. He says, your life depends upon it. And so slowly the man in the wheelbarrow turned around. He climbed and put his arms around the chest of Charles Blondin. He put his legs around his waist. And the wheelbarrow plummeted into the depths of the Niagara Falls. And slowly but surely with just his arms and this man hanging on, he walked across to the other side. You can... there would not be any doubt in any of their mind that that man in the wheelbarrow had only one hope. And that was on the strength and the ability of Charles Blondin to walk across that tightrope. His whole life depended upon it. If I was to tell you that your life depended upon one man this morning, would you believe me? I hope you would. Because it won't depend on you. It'll depend upon Jesus Christ. Your whole life. Because what you... What you're standing on, what you're walking on, depends on what you're focused on. And what you're focused on depends on who you trust in. Because if you trust in a world, that's what you'll focus on. If you trust in this, you know, if, even if we trust in our leadership. And I'm thankful and I pray for our leaders that we, we need good godly leaders across our nation. And that's why this election is so important. And we need to pray. But, you know, ultimately, I'm glad that we've got a higher being. I'm glad we've got a God. Does that mean I discard everything and just live aimlessly? No. When I have a God and I trust in Him, I live with great purpose, great focus, great confidence. But it's Him putting Him first, hey? So can we just stand this morning? Who are you hanging to? Who are you trusting in? Who are you? Have you got a hold of Christ in your life and you're never going to let Him go? Or is He just a take it or leave it thing? I pray that that won't be the case. But Jesus Christ will be everything and all. So let me just uh, pray this morning for you. Father, as we stand before you today, I'm very aware that, Lord, you have um, lessons in the storm for us. Maybe there's people here today facing different storms, different situations, different uncertainties. And Father, they would see that what they're walking on will determine what they focus on, will determine who they trust in. And I pray that their trust today would be in you, that you would help them to do that. Lord, we live in a, third, uh, uh, sorry, a first world country that is so blessed. But more and more as we live in a world that's, that's it, Lord, so un... Uh, there's things that we're not sure of. Uh, there's, there's terrors around every corner, it seems, sometimes. May we know the confidence we can have in you in the midst of a world that is in pain today, in a world that struggles. And maybe for individuals here, there's pain and there's struggle. And Father, that you would help them to draw nearer to the reality of your incredible love for them. And I commit them to you today. 
whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, that our trust would be in you. And that, Father, we would not just say it today, but we'd say it tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day until we draw our last breath, that we would know that we walk with a God that is incredibly uh, wants to be involved with us and love us and embrace us and help us to live to the fullest. And we ask for your help, Holy Spirit. And we yield to you today in Jesus' name. And everyone agrees, Sid? Come on. Can we just worship one last time in this song? You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ.